2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange to or Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, we've got a few things that we want to get to here today on the pod. We're going to look at some of the core player posts that we've been working on. But I want to start here. Uh, we, f- we saw our list of Defensive Player of the Year candidates uh, that came out today. Miles Garrett is not on the list. It is Micah Parsons. It is Nick Bosa. And it is Chris Jones uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. So Miles Garrett, not a finalist for the defensive player of the year. award. I'm sure he got a fair amount of votes. I'm sure if they expanded this out to top five, he's probably on that list. But not enough to be one of the finalists. Mary Kay, I I guess just what what was your reaction here? Is it like egregious that he's not a finalist or... Do you can you look at this list of finalists and say, okay, I guess I guess I understand why he wasn't ahead of these three players.
0: You know what? I actually think it is kind of egregious. I'm writing about this right now, and I've been working on you know going over statistics and comparing him uh, to the other players and trying to sort of sort through this. And I think it's actually the top three. I'd have to uh, look again real quick, or maybe you could look at. Um, Maybe you could look at that real quick, Dan, the the explanation for the voting. I think it was the top three for everything except for MVP, but maybe I have that wrong. Um, But last year, if you recall, he didn't get any votes. There are 50 voters and he didn't get any. Now, a little bit more understandable, I think, last year because T.J. Watt got 42 votes out of the 50. And T.J. Watt deserved 42 votes out of 50, but there is a world in which, for the second straight year, you know Miles might not have gotten much love or attention for this award. And I do think that this year, based on the other players, that he deserved to be right in there and at least one of the three finalists. Maybe he knocks out Chris Jones. That's probably the one uh, that I would say, okay. You deserve to be in there, uh, perhaps ahead of Chris Jones. And I I don't have, again, I'm writing about this today. I don't have all my numbers right in front of me right now. But he was, um, I think, tied in uh, as the player most double teamed. He was tied with Aiden Hutchinson for that, according to ESPN stats and info. And he was uh, like first or second in pass rush win rate say that fast three times. Um, And he was tied for second in the NFL with 16 sacks. He was right up there with all, all of his pressures and pro football focus has him ranked as the number one edge rusher in the NFL. So if you put all those stats together, I don't see any reason why miles Garrett should not be a finalist for NFL defensive player of the year this year. Not necessarily that he needs to win it, but he should have been one of those three guys.
2: Ashley, what, what do you think? I, I kind of have some thoughts too, but, but you go first.
0: Yeah, you know, I was
1: kind of, as Mary Kay was talking at first, I'm like, oh, well, like, I'm not really that surprised because, like, of how the Browns season went this year. But when you do look at Miles' individual numbers, like, they are impressive. And and a lot of those stats are right up there with a guy like Nick Bosa and a guy like Micah Parsons. So, yeah, Chris Jones, I think, is definitely the one who kind of feels like, eh, it could have been Miles, and I'm reading, like, NFL.com's, like, write up of, of the awards. And, you know, they cited like Max Crosby from the Raiders as a potential snub. And he had a career high 12 and a half sacks. And it's like, well, Miles had 16. So like, how are we, how are we using this to like, what's the criteria here that we're using? Um, and how much of it, my question is just kind of deals with the Browns all around season, like this underwhelming season, this defense that struggled, miles flipping his car and missing a game and that kind of being a huge narrative um obviously all of the attention deshaun watson brought the negative attention he brought to this organization so i do wonder how much those factors whether consciously or subconsciously maybe impacted something like this i think it's a fair question to ask
2: yeah so i I agree that I I certainly think Miles deserves to be in the discussion, but I I think he's sort of penalized because of the performance of the team, right? It was a bad defense and the team was bad and he didn't play a lot of like marquee games. He had some stuff kind of in the background with the the car and and getting benched and and all of that. But also, I'll be honest, I I guess I'm going to take the defend Chris Jones stance here. I'm having trouble figuring out which one of these three guys I would take off. Like I'll miles Garrett could certainly be in the top three. And I wouldn't be like, Whoa, well, that that's not right. I I think he could certainly be on this list, but at the same time, I, I guess I have trouble looking at this and saying, yeah, miles is way better than this guy. Um, I, I mean, I think Chris Jones has sort of become the dominant defensive tackle in football right now. And if they win on Sunday, it might be because of Chris Jones
0: mm-hmm. uh, in
2: part. So I don't know. I, I think Miles Garrett does get overlooked too much though in the discussion for just dominant edge rushers. I think too often I don't hear his name mentioned with people. I don't hear his name mentioned with TJ Watt and Max Crosby and the Bosa's and you know, whoever else you want to throw out there. I do feel Mary Kay, like Miles becomes the forgotten man sometimes. And so while I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pound the table and say Miles Garrett needs to be in this top three I also if somebody said to me no Miles Garrett should be number two I'd listen to that argument too because because I do think he's that good
0: yeah I mean you're right I mean these guys are all deserving as well but for the second straight year for him to finish with 16 sacks and to, to get no votes last year whatsoever and you know for him to be kind of left off this list I think uh, like I said to be the most double teamed and yet pass rush win rate leader at the same time. Uh, I think that has to account for something. And when you look at the fact that he didn't have any help from anybody else on the defensive line, the next leading sacker was Taven Bryan with three. I think that shows you just how uh, you know tough it is for him to accomplish his job and his role. Um, I'd have to go back and look at... Um, Chris Jones, like forced fumble stats, he's, he's probably got a fair amount of those, I would think. Um, but, and I think that sometimes that hurts miles that he doesn't have a whole lot of, um, you know, forced fumbles or, you know, necessarily those bigger type of game changing plays. Um, so he does continue, need to continue to make those plays that make the highlight reels all of the time. But I do, you know, I do think, you know, Ashley's right that in the fact that the team's performance. Each of these last two years, when he had 16 sacks, which were uh, this year tied for second and last year third, uh, each of these last two years, they didn't make the playoffs. Now, playoffs don't factor into these awards, but they do factor into what you think about a team and what you think about the players on a playoff team. And it's perception. And so until the Browns are really making a lot of noise for the playoffs and heralded as one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, He's, he's not going to get the recognition that he deserves.
2: Yeah. Ashley, I think that's sort of the, I mean, you're, you're kind of right on that. This is like the team. I mean, who cared about the Browns in December this year, honestly, other than the Deshaun Watson storyline. So (laughs) nobody's, nobody's talking about him. Nobody's watching their games. They're not on national TV that much. They had that, that Saturday game against Baltimore that, you know, to the rest of the nation was more of an inconvenience, like just get us to Miami Buffalo. Why do we have to watch yeah. this game? So yeah, it, I think it's, it's tough for miles. Yo, know, Micah Parsons just played a playoff game. Nick yeah. Bosa and, uh, and Chris Jones are going to play this weekend. And like Mary Kay said, that doesn't factor into the voting, the playoffs, but those guys were in the hunt. They were in the running, you know, week one through 18 and people were really watching them closely.
1: Yeah, and I think people like those guys, those teams, I think people are watching because of how good the teams are. Like they're watching constantly. Like you're saying, Dan, I don't know how many people outside of Cleveland were that focused on the Browns this year. I don't think very many, unless you're a Browns fan, because in the first 11 games, you know, you don't think they're going to be any good. And obviously their record ended up being four and seven. So weren't winning a lot. Weren't many of, like we said, those national TV games. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people outside of Cleveland, we know how unsavory they thought this Deshaun Watson decision is. So maybe, you know, you've got some extra viewers because of curiosity and, and everything like that. But with how many people disagreed with the decision to bring him here, um, disagree with the idea of him playing this year, uh, I don't think that there were a ton more eyeballs watching the Browns and watching Miles Garrett to, to, like, to your point, Dan, to the point that he gets – underappreciated for some of these things he's doing and these stats that Mary Kay referenced that people just aren't seeing that because they're not watching the Browns. So they're not going to vote for him for an award like this one, fairly or
2: unfairly. And, uh, you know, Mary Kay, I think too, for Miles, I just, I mean, am I right? Does He does sort of get, I don't want to know if underrated is the right word. I do feel like he is underappreciated. Like Like we get to see him every week. I, but I just feel like nationally, he really is underappreciated.
0: Well, and you do have to wonder, and I have no idea because I haven't talked to any voters. I have reached out to a few, but I haven't really talked to any voters. Um, but you have to wonder if the helmet incident is held against him, right? I mean, that talk about a lasting image on national television. You know, that was for all the world to see. And you just have to wonder If he's not still uh, paying for that, you know, for that incident. And, you know, there could be something to it. No matter what, when you are voting for these awards, even when you are in Hall of Fame voting. Right. Like I'm in Hall of Fame voting. But even when you're in those awards and you're not supposed to take into consideration off the field stuff, it's in the back of your mind. In, you know, in a lot of instances. Right. Like it never impacted me voting for Terrell Owens. I always voted for him. I always felt that, uh, you know, that he should have been in the hall of fame right from the jump, but not everybody felt that way by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever. And I have to wonder if the helmet incident isn't hurting miles in, you know, in the court of public opinion.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a fair point too. I think that sticks a little bit in, in everyone's minds. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, chris jones's stats it's actually funny like him and miles just raw counting stats have some of the same numbers now miles all came in one fewer game uh chris jones played in all 17 miles 16 sacks jones 15 and a half they each had four passes defensed uh they each forced two fumbles um the only real difference is uh jones was third on pff it, um among all defenders in pressures uh, miles was, he's up here somewhere. I got to find him, but, uh, miles was or tenth. Eighth. Oh, 10th. Uh,
0: okay.
2: Yeah. And then pass rush grade. Um, you've got miles Garrett was first, then Dexter Lawrence, then Chris Jones, then Micah Parsons. So it's, it's really close. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is really close with these guys and I'm actually, it's kind of interesting that it was all defensive linemen up here. I, th- I think, um, it's really hard for secondary guys to win this award now, unless they just put up huge interception numbers, it seems like.
0: I was going to say that has happened recently. I mean, if you end up with, you know, 10 interceptions, you're, you're going to be right in there, uh, you know, in the thick of it. A lot of times it turns out to be like the sack race is what it is. And that's why Miles knows it's so important for him, uh, you know, to be at the top. It, I almost feel like in order for him to win NFL Defensive Player of the Year, He's going to have to win the sack title uh, to get the kind of cred that he's looking for. And maybe that'll happen under under Jim Schwartz.
2: And Mary Kay, you were right. I, I shortchanged Miles because PFF has the filter set to regular season and postseason. Um, yeah. So your right. pressure leaders were Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa tied for first. Max Crosby's Darius Smith and Chris Jones was fifth with 77. Miles was sixth with 73. So again, yeah. him and Chris Jones were, were really close um, in that category. All right, let's take a break. And then let's look at some of these core player posts that, uh, that we've been working on throughout the week.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All right, so over the next couple of weeks here, we're going to be putting up posts about who are the Browns' core players. So uh, me and Ashley have each put one up. Mary Kay's is coming on Thursday, so let's just start with the one that I posted. Um I I made Denzel Ward the lone core player in the secondary just because I mean the Browns extended him, they gave him five years, a hundred and a half million dollars. Uh, that that makes you a core player. My question is so I put Grant Delpit and Greg Newsom the second in the like potential core players, which I sort of qualified as like these are the guys that are right on the fringe. Like there may be one good year away, one like full season away from being like a core player. Mary Kay, am I wrong? Should Greg, should Greg Newsom or Grant Delpit have gone in that core player category?
0: I would have put. I think I would have put Greg Newsom uh, in the core player category. You know, when when you take someone that high, you know, you you value them very very highly. Uh, so I, you know. In, in my mind, that, that's one of your core players. You know, anytime you're picked in the first round, you know, you, I think you deserve that kind of status. Certainly, they, they, have, they chose Grant Delpit to be a core player as well. But I think you're okay putting him in, in, as a potential core player. You could make a case that he is a core player. You could make a case. Um, but I, for sure, I think I would have put Greg Newsom in there, uh, based on his draft status and just kind of how they view him.
2: Yeah. Ashley, I think some of this is going to come down to like, as we each do these posts, sort of how we define core player, would you have yeah. put Newsom and or Delpit up there with Ward?
1: Definitely not Grant. Like I still think he, he, you know, he kind of turned some things around this year and I think you saw more of what he can do. And I think he's going to thrive in a, in a Jim Schwartz defense, but I think you still need to see more. Um, I wasn't think you know, Greg was the interesting one. And I think I kind of fall in line with Mary Kay um, in terms of they did use a first round pick to get him. I think with, Greg, like the obvious question is the fact, can he create takeaways? He still doesn't have that first career interception, which I know just kills him. But I think that is like going to be the difference maker. And if they're going to take him out of the slot and let him play more outside, which I think, you know, he kind of admitted to wanting to do towards the end of the season on, on getaway day. So I do think that's going to be interesting for him, but I see you, you can definitely make an argument for him in core. um, But Since we're grading harsh, I don't know. You know, I like that you have only one core player in this. I think Denzel is the one you would pick. But if you want to put two, Greg could be that second guy.
0: I was going to say, just so our our listeners know, uh, when we did set forth to do this, you know, we agreed we were going to grade hard. And we were not going to make it easy Mm -hmm. to be a core player. Like, you really have to be a really key core player and, you know that's, that was the parameters that we set forth. So just so everyone knows the context.
2: Yeah. um, And and that's sort of where I was with Greg. Like, had we done this a year ago, Mm -hmm. I might've said, Oh yeah, Greg is a core player. He's going to be the outside corner next to Denzel Ward for the next five years. It felt easy. And there was just something about this year and it was probably, it probably had to do with him being miscast in the slot. Mm -hmm. And while he kind of said all the right things up until the end, it was pretty clear that he didn't want to be the slot guy anymore. And that's going to make for an interesting scenario moving forward, because I don't think you can play Martin Emerson in the slot. And there certainly has to be a role for him after his rookie year. Um, You can never have too many corners, Mary Kay, but it can make juggling them very difficult when they're all healthy and you want to get them all on the field.
0: Yeah. You know what? I answered a question from one of our texters yesterday uh, in my haze that that posted on um, Tuesday night. and this person was wondering, can Martin Emerson sort of be the uh, you know safety center fielder position because of his length and his size and his versatility. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, guys do have to be very versatile in the back end now, so, you know, I don't know if you could consider doing something like that per se or having him play more of a hybrid role so that when you, you are in, uh, you know, the nickel uh, or the dime that you could have him somehow, you know, on the field in that type of situation more closer to a safety. But I thought he also established himself as a really good outside corner. I mean, I, I thought he did a really, really nice job with that. So um, now Greg has more speed, you know, Greg has more speed to, you know, to get down field and stay with the speedier uh, receivers in those sort of one-on-one situations or to, uh, to make up for a little bit of a missed assignment uh, if he needs to get across the field in in a hurry or whatever. Um, So I think what's going to have to happen is Jim Schwartz is going to have to get in there. He's going to have to dig in and see who fits where the best. And I've been saying this over and over and over those guys, whether, they not, whether or not they're going to make any sense or they're going to be listened to or what impact it will have, I think they need to open up and be honest about their roles and how they feel and what they want to do. Greg needs to go in there and he's, he needs to say, I had a really nice rookie year. I thought I was going to be able to build on what I did, playing that outside corner opposite Denzel Ward. Last year, I had to go in, learn a whole entire new position. It was foreign to me. I didn't play to my strengths. Um, And I would like to get back to what I think I do well. I think he should say those things to Jim Schwartz. And then Jim Schwartz can say, hey, I agree with you. Or he can say, we need you to be the nickel cornerback. There's nobody else on this team that can do it. And in your second year, you're going to be so much better at it. And we'll we'll cross-train some other people to do it. But you're our man there, and here's why you're going to do better in that role in your second season. We're going to do this and this and that so that it works better for you. So these are conversations that have to be had over the next several months.
2: Okay, well, now I'm intrigued, Ashley. Martin Emerson as the center fielder, safety. I don't know that he could step in and be like the guy next year, but that is an interesting thought. And, and I know, I mean, right. There were coaches who said to us, like, he looked like safety. He looked like yeah. a safety when they first saw him.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's big. He's got those long arms. I think he's like 33 and a half inch long arms or something. It's something crazy he Had some of the best measurements at the combine in that regard. So it would be interesting, but you know, I do think like Greg just kind of struggled. I thought in that slot spot, like I understand why he didn't like to play it and I don't think like the physicality suits Greg for, for what he does really well. I think he's better off being on the outside, but Martin played so well. If that's a way you can get both of those guys on the field at the same time, why not try it? You know, I think Martin Emerson in, in general from what we've gotten to know about him this year, you know, would be open to maybe trying something different if it means he's going to get to be out on the field with those guys. Cause he seems to really like playing when Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom are out there too.
0: The the other thing to consider real quick is that, um, you know, and I put this in my answer about this whole Martin thing is, you know, because of injuries and concussions and all the things that happen on, uh, you know, in the back end, generally there are enough outside reps to go around, you know, when, when, with so much 11 personnel and so much going on uh, and different kinds of matchups it does seem like there would be enough outside work for greg uh you know even if even if Martin still retains the cornerback role, so I think they probably should be thinking about another nickel corner if Jim Schwartz agrees that maybe that's not greg's best role
2: and there's also another reality here, and that's that Cincinnati's about to make their second consecutive Super Bowl or come close to it, depending what happens on Sunday. Like, you mm-hmm. you got to beat that team. You, yeah. You've got to be able to line up and beat that team twice a year, and that's the team you have to beat in the AFC North right now. And, you know, we know windows open and close all the time and rosters change, but right now you've got to have bodies to throw at these Bengals receivers because Jamar Chase is maybe the best receiver in football. He's close if he's not. And T. Higgins is a number one receiver, and Tyler Boyd is really good, and they got the Trents. We all love the, the Trents on the Bengals. Um, so, you know, you got to have guys. Okay, so I'll ask this before we move on to linebackers. Of Newsom and Delpit, if we're writing this post next year, and you only had to pick one to put in there with Ward, who do you think is most likely? I think. I, think I w- This is this is a tough one, so I'll answer it first. I won't just put you guys on the spot. I think I would say Grant just because of what I think he might do in this Jim Schwartz defense. Um, but I think it's close. I think either of these guys, I, I mean, the, the right answer is probably both. But if I had to pick one, I think I would pick Grant of the two.
0: Mary Kay, what about t- you? It's very close. It's very close. And you're right, because I think there, uh, you know, there is some legitimate reason to think that uh, that Grant Delpit is going to flourish and thrive in Jim Schwartz's defense. And uh, he will be yet again, another year out of the Achilles surgery. And, you know, and you would think that the farther he gets that in his rearview mirror, the better off he'll be. This was his first like real full, you know, full time starting assignment. And, um, you know, there is a learning curve there. And again, as we will come to find out more and more as we go along, you know, there were issues, there were issues on defense this year that they hope to solve under Jim Schwartz. And in that scenario, a lot of the guys that did not fare well in 2022 should by rights step up and be better in 2023. So we will have to see. You're right. I think it's going to be really, really close Uh, that's a, that's a hard one. I don't know if I can pick maybe just for the sake of argument. I'll go Greg.
2: Ashley, it's hard because I think we all like both players, especially with the way Grant finished this season. So, I mean, I think that's what makes it really difficult.
1: It is, you know, I do think I don't, for some reason I am, I've been leaning Greg the whole time we've been talking like Grant, did have a strong finish to the season. But I think there's still some question marks for me with his tackling, especially like when you watch him tackle, sometimes he like doesn't use his arms. Sometimes it's kind of inexplicable. It's like, what what's happening? Um, sometimes he does bite. Uh, we saw that against the, I forget what long play it was recently. Um, it was towards the end of the season and the next gen stats. It showed him lurking up, I think, against the Bengals in Cincinnati. And he bit and they were gone. Um, so those mistakes, it seems like Greg is just less prone to making them. And I do really think with him, the takeaways are going to start coming. I think Jim Schwartz is going to put him in more of a position to be successful. So that's why I'm going to say him and just to argue with Dan is the other reason.
0: <laughs> I
2: love it. Uh, it's because you haven't gotten to argue with Doug in a while.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. That's <laughs> I need to get it out of my system. <laughs>
2: All right, uh, let's look at the linebackers uh, that, that you put up the other day on Tuesday, Ashley. Uh, one core player in this group as well, and that was Jeremiah Wusukor Moa. You actually texted uh, Mary Kay and me to kind of run this yeah. by us, and you know we both agreed that you have this one right. I mean, I get, I think to me the only question with JOK Mary Kay is can he can he hold up? But actually, before before you answer, I do want to ask you, Ashley, like. Was it kind of easy to only have one, or did you yes. kind of wrestle with anybody else?
1: No, I didn't wrestle with anybody else. I was wrestling with can we consider him a core player yet? And like, I think so because of where he was drafted and when we've seen him play really well, um, where when we've seen him play, when he's been available and not been hurt he's been pretty good. But when we were talking about grading these harshly and saying like, it's kind of like core, like no ifs, no questions. And I'm like, well, his, his injury and his, his injury history, his durability is kind of a question. So I'm like, can you make an argument that, Hey, maybe this room is just filled with total guys who are on the bubble. But I do think like, given where he was drafted, given where he plays, when he's healthy, when you're picking one guy, I do still think it's him. I really like his style of play. Um, I think this is, you know, Cleveland traded up to get him in a position they hadn't particularly valued under Andrew Barry up until that point in terms of like spending big bucks or giving out big, huge contracts or spending a lot of draft capital on. So I think this is the guy. And then you got a mix of. Like kind of a mess down below him and figuring out if guys are going to be back and and what they can do in that regard. But I think he's the one guy you can consider core, and there wasn't really anybody else I wrestled with putting up there just yet.
2: Yeah, Mary-K, I mean, do you have any questions about, about JOK outside of injuries? If And I don't know, maybe injuries aren't a question for you with him.
0: Well, n- not really, but I will tell you what, um, and, and I, I don't feel this way, but I heard uh, DeQuell Jackson talking about him the other day. Did you guys see any of that? It was kind of interesting. It was, uh, it was on the Ultimate Cleveland uh, Sports Show, and DeQuell, who knows, former Browns linebacker, of course knows uh, every single thing there is to know about the position, was saying that he doesn't even think that J.O.K. is a linebacker. Uh, so I thought that was, uh, you know, interesting food for thought. Um, but here's the thing. I agree that he's the only uh, core linebacker that I would have put up there in part because uh, there are some injuries that we just don't know yet what's going to happen uh, with some of these guys. I mean, there are guys that are right on the on the cusp. You know, I, I would have Anthony Walker and Sione Takitaki, you know, real close, uh, depending on how they are coming off of their injuries and and whatnot. But um, but yeah, so I think JOK is the is the right choice for, you know, the core player here. Um, but I think it will be very interesting once again, to see what Jim Schwartz makes of him to see what he feels like he can do with him and to see what JOK can do when he's got some bigger, better defensive tackles in front of him and how that frees him up to kind of live up to his potential and do what he can do. So uh, I think the future looks bright for him and, uh, and he's the only guy I would have put right up at the top right here.
2: How many guys can we move to safety on this podcast? I think we're up to, <laughs> I think we're up to two now. I'm assuming that's where DeQuell was going uh, yeah. when, he, when he said he wasn't even sure if JOK was a linebacker. So let's let's just – let's have a pod where we, we make a case to move everybody to safety. So, like, Perry oh, – here's no. why Perry on Winfrey would thrive as a strong safety. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Oh, boy. Um. Let's – so – The question I have about this, because looking through the rest of the guys on this list, you know, you've got Tony Fields, Jacob Phillips, Sione Takitaki, Anthony Walker, uh, and then then there's other names on this list as well. Can I say too,
1: really quickly, Dan? I didn't realize you did four categories, so that's why all those guys are in on the bubble. Had I noticed the on the, did I do four? (laughs) <laughs> you did potential core players as its own oh, category, and I I did say for both Sione, Takitaki, and Anthony Walker Jr., like, I do consider them potential core players, but in, in some ways, I do think it's kind of fitting to, like, lump those four together, because, of course, with Takitaki and Anthony, we, like, don't know if they're going to be back next year, so that's the... Biggest question mark of will they bring back one or both of those guys? And if they do come back, like Mary Kay said, how are they going to look after undergoing, you know, big surgeries um, on their knees? And and what's that going to be like? How quickly are they going to be able to get back? How effective are they going to be? So they do have their own set of questions, even though I think they they teeter on potential core player.
2: Yeah. So I'm wondering, Mary Kay, we've talked so much about what the Browns need to do this off season, right? Defensive tackle, edge rusher, wide receiver, um, we've eaten up a lot of Browns resources already. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is linebacker on the list or can they cobble this together with JOK, And then, you know, you bring back Taki and and hope he's healthy. Maybe Anthony Walker's back in the mix. Can they cobble this group together with what they have or do they need to somehow find a way to address, you know, adding some more bodies in that room?
0: Well, I think they probably need to add a body or two based on some of the injuries and not really know knowing what's going on. And then you're probably going to want to have that sort of one guy, at least, that Jim Schwartz said, okay, I need this, this, this and this in my weak side linebacker or whatever it is. Or I need this, this and this in my strong side. and He's got to be this guy. So I think Jim Schwartz will help dictate what he needs uh, at that linebacker position but I don't think necessarily that they're going to go out and spend a whole ton of money uh, and, and commit a ton of resources to it. I think Jim Schwartz made it clear that he wants the resources in the defensive line. So that's where the money is going to go. And then, you know, maybe you, you commit a higher draft pick or whatever to linebacker. Um, maybe you continue to develop like a, a Tony fields and hope that, that he can fill in some for you there um so they've got some guys like that I don't think that you're gonna see like a super high priced linebacker coming in in free agency
2: so Ashley how did you come away from from this kind of look at the linebacker and feeling about the position moving forward do they do they need to add more can they can they get by with what they have we I mean it's an ongoing conversation with Andrew Berry and and the staff how much do they value linebacker (laughs) I, yeah I mean, you know i do wonder if they can do it with like one like one guy who could become a star and then kind of fill yeah. in around him
1: and i mean maybe because like Taki Taki, if he's healthy if he's able to come back around he told us mid-october uh that's if everything goes well if he has no setbacks given when he had his surgery it's about 10 months out um He proved he was always good against the run. That's kind of like what he'd been known for. But he really proved he could be kind of an every down kind of player this year. And they got in that situation because of injuries. But I think he pretty he did it like he matched some career high, you know, his career high defensive snaps number, um, despite missing the last five games. Totally. Um, He had some really nice stats just overall. So. I think that's a guy who you know could help you get by. I think Anthony Walker. I said you know, given the leadership vacuum, it felt like this team had. I think you almost have to bring him back if I'm them. Now I don't know what the money situation is going to look like for either of those guys. I know Taki, Taki even said to us like he knows he lost some money by getting hurt when he did that. It was very unfortunate for that reason. So maybe they'll be able to financially make both of those guys work. The one other guy I'm like really interested to see what they do is if they try to bring back Reggie Ragland, because he was like by far the biggest guy they had in this room. He's the only guy over 250. And I know Jim Schwartz isn't like very stringent about how big a linebacker has to be. But he was pretty good in the small showing, small sample size he had with them. He's got a veteran presence to him, which could be helpful. You can get him on the cheap. so. I don't know. Maybe you can get through kind of cobbling this together again. But I think it's just kind of kind of depend on what's out there. And I think a lot hinges on what JOK is going to turn into. You're you're betting a lot on JOK if you kind of run it back, essentially, with this group and maybe only minor changes.
2: Now, Reggie Raglan actually seemed to play pretty well when they threw yeah. him out there at, at middle linebacker. Um, you know, again, you look at these, you look at these playoff teams. I mean, San Francisco has really good linebackers, Cincinnati's linebackers, maybe a little underrated. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's teams that have done some good things with, with that linebacker position. So, uh, we'll see how the Browns address that going into the off season. All right. So those core player posts are going up on cleveland.com slash Browns here over the next week and a half, two weeks. Uh, So make sure you check those out. That's also where you can become a Football Insider subscriber. Click that blue banner at the top of the page to get texts, a newsletter, and also get access to those stories if you've got that subscriber-exclusive tag. Uh, Again, it's that blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns. And subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Mary Kay and Ashley are going to go to the Greater Cleveland Sports Awards. By the way, I once, uh, one of the first, like, real interviews I did in this business was like at the greater Cleveland sports awards. And I let it off by going up to Greg Gumbel. And as soon as we hit record on the camera, I called him Bryant. So that was, (laughs) that was tough. (laughs) Oh, Dan. And, and to make matters worse, to make matters worse, I got to go sit at cleveland.com had a table for the actual show. And I, I went and sat at the table. And as the show was starting, Greg Gumbel, who was the host that year, goes up and starts his little monologue and almost right at the beginning of the monologue he says you know i still get confused with my brother sometimes actually right backstage just a few minutes ago there was a guy who interviewed me and called me bryant and
1: oh,
0: oh there no. i was at oh the table. table you
2: made the speech Poor i did Dude. i made the speech on the fly
0: that's a great <laughs> that story one that that of those things heard.
2: like I'm-
1: <laughs> I know. Dan's like filled with these great amazing stories that mm. no one has any idea about. I
0: would, That's if my, something like that happens Most of them have to do with it. me
2: being an idiot.
0: No. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's funny. <laughs> what, were you, what were you
2: going to say,
1: Ashley? No, I would just that kind of stuff, like I just, I would think about it for the next like 25 years.
2: Oh, I, I don't. <laughs> I obviously am very clearly still thinking about it. You I do think still the, think about it. I don't even remember what year it was. It had to be like 2006 oh, boy. or 2000. I don't know, but yeah. There we go. Me and Greg Gumble.
0: Is, is that why <laughs> gotta, you're not going tonight, Dan? Tell the truth.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <That's>, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still like scarred. I just yeah. I have like sports award PTSD. And uh, by yeah, the way, definitely. the whole time before I was talking to, before I went to interview him, I had to wait for him to like say hi to some people. I'm thinking to myself, and this is why it happened, I'm thinking to myself, don't call yes. him Bryant. <laughs> it was the first well, thing that came like to my mind it's like that
1: mouth. great Joe Thomas interview that Mary Kay did and Joe talked at length about how you can't just say you can't say don't do something because all your brain hears That's is right. do something you should have you listened to that interview before you should have built a time machine and
2: listened to it it came right. 15 years too late <laughs>
0: <Too bad. laughs> yep. alright
2: uh, that'll do it Mary Kay and Ashley uh, I will talk to both of you later
0: sounds good